good listeners from bad listeners, don't we? You don't. You, you can get this lesson very early on if you're married, or at least I have, because oftentimes my wife will look at me and she'll say, "You're not listening, are you?" Now, how can she discern that? How she's not in my brain. She has no idea whether I'm listening or not. She says, "You're not listening, are you?" And I said, "I absolutely am too." And I can completely repeat everything she just said. And then she just kind of rolls her eyes and she says, but you are not listening. <laughs> now, that's not fair. How, how could she say that I'm not listening when I got all the facts right? Because we know, those of us who selectively listen, that we can get facts, but we cannot be listening at the same time. Usually if there's a football game on, I am selectively listening. If I'm at a restaurant, I might be selectively listening. There are moments in time where I can hear words, but I'm not really hearing. I can hear information, but I'm not really perceiving. And in this story, Luke, the author, God himself is saying to us, listen, put your cell phone down. Turn off the app. There's a story being presented. There's a message being given that is for you. Every person in this room, God is saying, this message is for you. Listen. And I want to encourage you as we not only listen to this story, but as, I, as you take a journey... Um, and I would encourage everyone in the room to take the Bible. Literally, hopefully you have a physical copy, but if you have an online copy, an app, take the Bible and read it as a message from God. Ask God to speak to you through every passage of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. Read through it, study it, and let God speak to you. Let the message of His Word bring Good news, the Bible tells us in the Psalms that there's countless treasures found in His Word if we will read it. Which takes us to another person in the story, Mary. Because Luke highlights the response of Mary in this story. I've always, I've always really stopped and admired just the words that he, just, he, he puts upon Mary. He, it says of her that she took these, these things in and she pondered them in her heart. She listened, she heard it, she heard what the shepherds had said about what the angels had said, she heard, she, she, she combined that with what she had been told earlier in her pregnancy, and she pondered the words of God. Psalm 119 says about his own words to us that we are to hide them in our hearts. So what does it mean to ponder? In the Greek, it means to put into context, to connect, to think something out thoroughly. Uh, Psalm 119 talks about the word being the unfolding of light. Your words are like the unfolding that gives light, like unpacking something, like, you know, that, 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 uh, that Yankee swap gift, you know, the one that's a box, like a big box, and then you unwrap it, it's another box. Has anybody ever gotten that gift? It's like, who had enough time to even do this? Just throw something in a package and give it. And somebody was wrapping. And every time they were wrapping another box, they were going, 
know, you're looking around the room to see who's snickering, you know, like, I did that to another box. I think that's what it's like with the Word of God. God speaks His Word to us in, in our hearts and minds. We take it in at first, and it's a box. And then God says, linger a little bit longer, and we unpack it. There's another box. There's another truth and another truth and another truth. For those of us who have been walking with the Lord for a long time and who have been reading Scripture and meditating on Scripture, how many times have you got, read a certain passage of Scripture? Maybe it's even one of your favorite passages of Scripture and all of a sudden, wow, something new. Some new revelation comes out of the same Scripture that you've already read. How is that? Because the depths of God's Wisdom, knowledge, and love are unfathomable. They are endless in revelation. So that we need to spend time unfolding the words of God. Mary not only listened, but she pondered. She thought about it. She considered. I think about it in the same way, both good and bad, when we have news that's brought to us and somebody says, now sit down. Sit down, I've got something to tell you. Those words, those words automatically take us into a deeper place of expectation and reflection. Is this good news or bad? And if it's bad, it's bad. We have to think about it. We have to take it in. If it's good, like somebody on a bended knee opening up a little, you know, Think about this. I have. <laughs> Goodbye. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yes. She pondered. She pondered this child. She pondered the truth of what the angels had said. She pondered her place in the story. What is your place in the story of God's message? What is your place in in the, in, the, in the middle of God's word to you. What is God saying? And she not only pondered, but she treasured. She moved from a place of understanding or taking uh, this, 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 this news into context and applying it to her life, but she treasured it as the very words of God. Do we take God's word seriously in this way? Do we take his his message seriously? Do we ask the question, if I, if I believed what I just read or if I, if I believed what God is saying, how does it change my life? How does it affect my life? If you don't do both, ponder, understand, put into context, and treasure, you miss the fullness of what God is giving to you. God wants us to listen. He's got good news. What's his good news? Part of his good news is that he brings peace. Verse 14, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. The King James Version says it on, on earth peace, goodwill towards men. And so there's been conversation. Is this peace a peace that is to bring some kind of unbelievable change to the whole world? Or is it like the, the NIV translation that I read first that is a peace that is a favor that rests only on those, a, a peace that's only given to those on whom God's favor rests. And so there's been a debate among theologians about the context of this peace. My answer, yes. 
Yes, it is. Yes, it is both. It is a peace that it resides within those in whom God's favor rests. Peace in this context is not oftentimes the way that we think about it. And of course, we've got so many definitions of peace. But it's, it's not a peace, and, and, and Brendan alluded to this last week. It's not a feel-good, happy absence of loud children or whatever your peace looks like in that way. Prosperity kind of goodness to life. Literally, in this, in this context, it means the end of warfare. It means that war has ceased. That warfare in our lives has ceased. Isn't this interesting? I think if we look back to the very beginning of Scripture, we see this struggle for peace. We see peace existing with Adam and Eve in the presence of God as they fellowshiped and had no shame and had friendship with God. And then we see the war start when Satan enters the scene and begins to tempt Adam and Eve and to distort the reality or the truth of who God is and what He says. And then when they take that, that temptation in and rebel against God, war between God and man started. Because an unholy sin, a death, a destruction was entered into the fabric of human existence. God who is holy, loving, pure, good, and mankind who at our heart or core apart from God are independent, resistant of God's authority. And so we live not in peace, but at odds with God. We have our own ways of saying it, don't we? This independent, I'm better in my life if I'm in control. We call it in Boston the all set thanks, right? Hey, all set thanks. Can't tell you how many times I've talked to people about Jesus, and right as I say Jesus, it's all set thanks. Just It's like Jesus, all set thanks, Je- all set thanks. It's just like in the fabric. And what are we saying? We're saying, hey, it's been good knowing you, but you're stepping across the line, Pastor. It's one thing to talk about how God can bless me, and when I need things, He'll give things to me. And, and, you know, I like like God kind of in this corner when it's beneficial to me. Or, I really don't like God at all. He messes things up. Get that out of the picture. But when you start talking about God the Savior... God who not only comes, who not only created me, but is in a position of authority in my life. I think I can do life better by myself. Isn't that the same message that, I mean, isn't that the same message that the devil told Adam and Eve? But God really didn't mean that. But you really are better in control of your own life. Are we? Tim Keller says it this way, There is no peace on earth if there is no peace with God. There cannot be peace on earth, although we 
We pray for it. We work for it. We try to get everybody to like each other. But there can be no peace on earth when there's no peace on, with, with God. And the reality is, is if we're in control, think about it this way. If you're in control and you think that this is the way that life should look so that you can be happy, and we just multiply that by 200 people in the room. Do you think there's going to be some overlap where, where your everything in the world should look this way is going to offend somebody else's everything in the world should look this way or be done this way? Is there going to be conflict about control of our lives if we're all in control? Yes. Just have a family. It just happens. No, 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 mine. No, it's mine. That's my... Ah, ah. Stop, stop, ah, be quiet. It just, that's one day. <laughs> the life of, not my family, but families I've observed when I visited you. <laughs> it's unbelievable. How do we have peace when everybody's in control? Well, the answer is, is that we give control to the one who is the prince of peace who is the peacemaker, who has defined what peace can look like. So we neither can have, I want my life the way I want it, or another way that we put ourselves in control for those religious people in the room is that we do all the right things. We do all the right things religiously, therefore God has to do what we want him to do because I've done everything right. There's a story about a guy like that in the Bible. It's called the rich young ruler. Do you remember that story? He came up to Jesus and he said, hey, I've done everything right. Now what? Of course, the moral of the story is nobody's ever done everything right. So Jesus picks out the thing that would confront his control, his money. He says, well, you know what you have, but how about just one more thing? Give all your money away. And come follow me. You found my control button, Jesus. I can do all these other things, but don't touch that one. And that one is different for every person in the room. For some people, it's money. For some people, it's your reputation. For some people, it's your leisure or comfort. We've all got control buttons that if God pushes that button, you mean I have to move? No way. You mean I have to stop doing that? No way. You mean I have to do that? No way. God's saying, if you'll trust me, if you'll let go, you'll find peace. Our first step is recognizing that we are in conflict with God and that we don't control him. And honestly, he does not impose his control over us. I not only do bad things, but the good things I do, the scripture says, are like filthy rags. Because those good works, if not done with God, are done out of independence, resistance to the authority of God. And so what do I need? What do we need? We need a wholesale saving. A saving from our dark side, but also our good side. It is done with good intentions, but with, with, it is done with good actions, but wrong intentions. Jesus, fully saved me. Help me, Lord. Without you, I am hopeless. We have to take ourselves off our personal thrones and put God on the throne of our life. Acknowledge that we can't save ourselves. We have to rest in God's salvation. 
This is the result of turning to God, that we cease from our striving and we allow God to save us. Amen? That is what makes peace in our hearts. And as a result, back to the translation of the Scripture, as a result, if we have peace with God, if individually we have peace with God, and that multiplies times 100, 10,000, 100,000, a million, 2 million people, if there are millions of peacemakers in the world, is there going to be more peace in the world? If Christians truly walk out the forgiveness that they have received from Christ, if Christians truly walk out in humility, the humility that is given to them because they can't do it on their own, but they have to humble themselves before a living God. If Christians truly walked out love that is unconditional because we have received unconditional love from the Father, if we truly embodied the things that we've received and became peacemakers because we've received peace, would the world experience peace? I think one of the hardest things for the church as a, as a believer is recognizing that the church is representing itself contrary to what they have received or we have received from God. When we impose our will, our biblical standard on people who don't know God, and we exert power and pressure instead of serve with humility, we distort the gospel. We actually make it harder for people to find Jesus because we give them a gospel of works and righteousness that is not found in the power of Jesus. That's not found in humbling ourselves before God until somebody recognizes, including anybody in the room, that we have to humble ourselves before God to find grace from God. How can we impose another gospel on somebody else? Remember, don't reject the messenger. Just receive the message. God is saying, be peacemakers so that we can see peace in this world. Does that mean compromising truth? Absolutely no. No, the truth says, the word says that the truth, capital T, Jesus, in little t, his spoken word will set people free. And sometimes it's instantaneous and sometimes it's a process, but we have to live it out, right? We have to live it out in front of people so they can see the truth. Not clobber them with it. Christmas. God became man. Brought His peace. Made it available to every person on earth who would choose to receive it. Who would humble themselves before the Lord. And in that place be born again so that they can live a life of peace for others. That's Christmas. That's what you sing about. Amen. All right. Fear not. Fear not, it says. So we, we want peace, but we're afraid. We go back to the garden, right? We're good with Jesus. I mean, we're good with the Father walking in heaven together. Then we mess up. And then what happens when we mess up? Especially when we mess up with God. We're afraid. I think in this story and in biblical stories when we see an angelic, um, an angel encounter a man or a woman or, or people, there's always this, there, there, most of the time there is a falling down, a falling back. In this context it says they were terrified. And I wonder if when I see an angel, 
when you as a believer see an angel, if we ever do see one, are we going to shriek in fear? Or is there going to be some kind of familiarity with who they are because we are one with God? I think that fear comes from separation. Scripture tells us that perfect love, which we've experienced with Christ, casts out all fear. So God is wanting to restore to us not um, an emotion or an experience where we recoil from the holiness of God and God himself, but that when we see God, we come into his presence with confidence. Hebrews. Joy. So why do we step back? Why do we fear? Why did the angel say, don't fear? Because we fear, maybe... Here's some thoughts. We fear that when we're in the presence of God, we're going to be rejected. We fear that when we're in the presence of God, He's going to see us as a failure. He's going to let us, let us know how bad we failed. We, we fear that maybe His intentions aren't good because all the bad things that we've seen in the world, we've ascribed to God instead of Satan and sin. And so when we get into God's presence, all of a sudden, all of those fears, or some of those fears, come up. Let's put on the end of that death in eternity and what our security with God is. And we have all this fear that we bring into the presence of God, of which the angel in this story, and the angels in your life, if you were to meet one, and God himself would say, fear not, if you will. Humble yourself before the Messiah at the manger who lived his life perfectly and died on a cross for you and was risen from the grave to defeat sin and death and sits at the right hand of God with all authority and power to put upon you the grace and forgiveness that he died to give you. If you will receive Jesus, fear not. You will not be rejected. I will not treat you, the scripture says, as your sins deserve. Because Jesus has paid it all for you. Fear not. You will not be shamed because of your failure. But it says to me, he says to me, because in your weakness, I have become strong. That's why I came. So I'm not going to condemn you. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8. I don't come to condemn you. I come to bless you. Do not fear rejection. Fear not my intentions. The devil is a liar. I didn't set up the tree to trick you. I set up the garden to protect you, to bless you. I created this whole world for you. And I made myself available so that we could have friendship for eternity. I'm a community God. I created you to be like me because I like me and I like you. We're made in His image. He loves us. Fear not when you come into the presence of me if God were speaking to you because you're not going to be rejected. You're not a failure. And I like you. And I have good things for you. It says the Father of heaven gives us good gifts. Better than the gifts that earthly fathers can think of. And even better than mother's gifts because they're better than father's gifts oftentimes. (laughs) All of those gifts wrapped up into one. God's better. Fear not. He was 
they were ta- he, the angel and the angels were talking to those shepherds at that moment, but they knew that the Bible was going to be, God knew what he was doing, and he knew that this, was, this proclamation was going to be reverberating throughout history. And God is saying, people of the earth, fear not. Fear not. A Savior is born. Good news. And that leads me to my last point. Behold, there is good news. The gospel that while we were still sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. He was born in a manger so that he could die on a cross because he had a purpose in his heart and his soul to redeem as many enslaved, fearful, broken people that he created with pleasure and design to have relationship with him. He's on a mission and he is at war with sin and death and he wants to set us free. Good news. I have no idea. Well, I probably have some kind of a clue. The shepherds probably didn't get all of that yet because it hadn't happened yet. But one thing that they did know was this. An angel spoke to them. And just as the angel had spoken, it was. And I have the sense that when they came into the presence of the Messiah, even when he was a baby, the same thing happened to them that happens to us when we are in the presence of Messiah. We are taken by the glory of God. Now, we can reject it or we can receive it. But Jesus is Jesus. God is God. And he is welcoming us into his presence. Amen. If I can have the worship team come on up. So we have been talking this um, last three or four weeks. Our theme has been... Hope is born. And Luke 2 is the the ultimate picture of our theme for this season. That Jesus, the hope of the world, has been born. He has lived. He has died. He rose again. He reigns. And he lives forevermore. And the question is, has hope been born afresh in your heart? So would you stand up with me? Are you listening to God this morning? My question first is, are you hearing? I I have no doubt. I'm preaching and I'm hearing as I'm preaching. So if I can preach in here, you can just listen in here. I have no doubt that God is speaking to every one of us this morning. What is he saying to you? What is he saying to you? And if you're like, I, I, I don't know if God's speaking, well then ask him. God, are you speaking something this morning? So ask him, God, what are you speaking? I want to listen. And when we listen, we ponder. We treasure. We say, God, as you have communicated, there was something in what Sean said that really struck my heart. God, would you take it deeper into me? Maybe it has to do with fear. Lord, why am I afraid of this aspect of who you are? Maybe it has to do with control. God, why am I controlling this area of my life? I feel so free in every area, but why this area, God? Why are you putting your finger on that? God, why do I not experience peace the way the angels declared peace was to be received by me and to be given? So may we respond this morning. God might want to, to do a new work 
of submission in our lives where we let go and let him be God. He might want to bring peace. And before we, before we respond, I'm going to have a few of our leaders come up and pray for people who need prayer. And we'll just take a few minutes. We have, we have some time here this morning. I want to invite anybody in the room who's never, never allowed Jesus to take that seat or that place of authority in your life. You've never acknowledged, yeah, I am at war with you, God. I like to be in control, and I like to kind of keep you in a certain place in my life. And you've never allowed God to fully be king of your heart, Lord of your life. You've never allowed the truth of the gospel to truly transform the way that you live. This is a moment for you this morning. I, I truly believe that there are, there, are, there are moments throughout the year that God speaks, but oftentimes at these special times, Christmas, Easter, weddings, funerals, these high moments, these moments of reflection on who God is, are times where we, who might just be running through life with our ears plugged up and our eyes focused on something apart from God, stop and have to listen And it's at those moments that the doors of our heart are open. How many of you know that your heart can open? And unless you do something with God when it's open, it's pretty easy for the doors to close right back up. So my prayer is if the doors of your heart are open this morning and God is standing at the door, as Revelation says, and knocking and saying, I want to come in, that you'd invite Jesus in. Remember, no fear, no shame. No rejection, no condemnation, but love and grace. So Lord, would you do that? Would you pray with me? Jesus, we're listening, we're pondering, we're treasuring this morning what you want to say. I ask God that for anybody in this room who is standing before you for the first time in this way to surrender and to bow their knee before you, Lord, I ask they'd have courage to do so that they would open the doors up of their lives and they'd let you come in and have control. And they'd experience, I believe it's a, believe you teach us, it's a supernatural encounter that we have. It's, it's uh, like uh, being turned into a butterfly. It's, it's, a, it's a rebirth when we, we uh, acknowledge that you're Savior and that we're not and that we want you in our life. So Lord, would you bring rebirth new birth, new life this morning to some in this room. And I pray for all of us that we would draw closer to you, God. Would you minister to the needs, the fears, the lack of peace, the control, whatever else you're speaking. Would you minister to those of us this morning where we need. In Jesus' name, amen.